On this episode of The Mompreneur Show, I'm talking to Amber Mack. She's a wife, a mother, and an entrepreneur. She's been all over the media and has started her career back what, in the 90s, and I'm so excited to pick her brain all about the internet, how to build a platform, and everything about her book, Outsmarting Your Kids Online. And she has some incredible value here. My kids are growing up here and it's so important for me to keep them safe online. And this is the perfect book. Thank you again so much for joining us here on the Mompreneur Show. Let's get the party started. Amber, tell us how you started this online journey. We'll talk about the book. We'll talk about, let's go back to the very beginning. And how was your journey like? How did you get started? How did you balance having a baby and doing your whole online presence? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I started my career in San Francisco working at a company called Razorfish, which is a big web design company. I worked on the content strategy side doing content and information architecture. Subsequently, I worked uh, for two software startups. Then I worked for Microsoft and uh, got involved with Tech TV because I do have a journalism degree. I had my son a couple of years after that. And um, I will say, I mean, I think people go through different experiences when they have a child. Some people may feel as though maybe they want to step back from work for a little while. I felt like it, it did the opposite for me. It really motivated me to work even harder and to be able to provide this amazing life for him and opportunities to travel and do interesting things. So for me, it was the best and biggest motivation that I could ever imagine. That's amazing. Okay. Because so, so often I, whenever I go travel or I'm actually away from a family right now and I have this mommy guilt like oh I'm leaving my babies I'm, I'm gonna miss you guys so much and I was telling my husband like this is so sad I'm I can't believe I'm leaving them I feel like I'm ignoring them for this whole week and he's like babe think of it the other way you're doing this for them so I love that mindset that you're sharing with us it's like it's not that you're 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 taking the time away from your child. You're actually giving him so much more than that. So thank you so much for sharing. So Amber, how do you, you were obviously an online entrepreneur before you had your, your firstborn, your boy. And how, how did you, did you take time off? Like how, how did that work out? Yeah, so um, I was working a full-time job, actually, as a technology reporter at a local television station, and I had an opportunity to meet Tony Robbins, and mm. I'm a big fan of his, and I, I got presented with this opportunity to do some work with him as he was trying to grow his digital presence, and so I left the company and ended up starting my own company, and Tony was one of our first clients. Uh, about a year later, I, I had uh, my son and uh, pretty much started uh, working right away after having him. Listen, I'm not saying that I condone that. It's not for everyone, mm -hmm. but because mm -hmm. I am self-employed, it was one of those situations where I would, you know, take a little bit of time off when I needed it. And then I would work when the opportunity came to me. I also have a partner who works in the same company as me. So we were able to kind of juggle things and, uh, it just, it just worked out well for us. It's not for everybody, but, um, I will say that, uh, it, you know, it, it's hard, right? I mean, it, it's hard to be traveling and being away from your child. On the other hand, there are so many days that I'm able to be with him because I don't have a full-time job. I am an exactly. entrepreneur. And so those days where maybe he has some type of uh, sports game or a concert at school, I mean, no one's going to tell me that I can't go to that because I absolutely am going to make that a priority. And, and I think that's the difference. 
Exactly. I love that you shared that. You don't have that boss above over your head telling you what you can and you cannot do. You're your own boss. And I love the freedom that entrepreneurship has to offer. Now, let's go, go back a little bit. And can you uh, share with me, um, with us, with our uh, live listeners, if it's appropriate, like what kind of work did you do? Um, maybe not specifically for Tony Robbins. Sorry, I'm getting a little too detailed here. But like in general for people, like what are some of the sure. things that you help them with to grow their online presence? Yeah, so in the early days of social media, I'm talking when Twitter came into uh, our lives and some of the other social platforms, I think a lot of people really struggled as far as understanding how to leverage those platforms, not just to build their brand, but how to build their business. Mm -hmm. And for me in those early days, one of the things that we really focused on is kind of hand-holding through that process. In 2010, I wrote a book on how to build your business through social media. And so in those days, it was all about the education, building out strategies for individuals as well as companies. Companies. I think now in 2016, we're at a very different time where people know they have to do these things. And uh, instead, you know, there are different priorities that we all have to focus on. So what would you say, like, what are some, uh, some of the things that um, uh, significantly changed um, for, for social media nowadays? And um, what should be, people be doing now to build, build our platform versus back in the day? I think... One of the main differences between 2016 and maybe 2010 is that today I find as though the platforms are changing much more rapidly and they're mm -hmm. launching new features much more rapidly. I mean, mm -hmm. you and I have faced this. We're right now, yeah. we're talking on Facebook Live and they're adding new features all the time, which mess up what we're trying to do. And, and we see it with Instagram. You know, Instagram mm -hmm. launches stories. Then people wonder, is Snapchat relevant anymore? Exactly. And I think the one key message that I have for everyone, especially as I'm out keynoting and talking, is that we live in a time where you have to absolutely understand how to adapt and how to adapt really quickly and change quickly and not get tied into any one platform uh, because we know how quickly that can change. So you have to focus on uh, having a really great, strong message uh, and uh, that, that messaging has to come through on all your platforms through the content, but the platforms themselves I think we've seen that those platforms may change over time and do quickly. Oh, absolutely. And I see you jumped into Instagram stories so quickly. You experimented with them already. You're already speaking on uh, about them. And, and it's, it's amazing how fast you've been able to adapt to it. So now, um, all these social networks are jump, uh, coming up and, you know, we have to be like everywhere. Like how do we not drown in all these social networks? I feel like, I feel like I'm like, oh, my gosh, Instagram stories is amazing. It's incredible. But I really have to go either Insta um, either Instagram stories or Snapchat and I have to drop one of them. Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that's an awesome question. And, and I think, you know, we've probably experienced it. But entrepreneurship isn't for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I see opportunity in the social platforms to provide me with uh, a, a marketing opportunity that I previously would have had to pay so much money for to be able to reach that many people. Exactly. I'm excited. I mean, every time something new comes out, I'm excited, I'm optimistic, I'm thrilled that I get to use these tools. If it's something that you don't find enjoyable, but you know have to, you have to do, well, maybe it's a situation where you need to outsource a little bit of that, or, or maybe you can't be present in such a significant way. But at the end of the day, you have to decide, are you 
going to be able to manage it, like you said, and, and it's not for everybody. Some people want downtime. They want to shut it off at 7 o'clock and you know, not work until the next day. I don't live that life, nor do I want to, but I, I think it's a preference. You know, you're all, Not everybody's so going to love being on all the time because that's what it requires. So true, so true. And I, I completely agree. It's really based on the, in the individual and what they want in life. Like the gal I had on the show um, last week, she has a very successful business, but she's not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So that 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 was a very interesting to me as well because um, I think Facebook is a huge uh, platform that we all should be on, and that was a very interesting perspective. So now, Amber, let's let's shift gears a little bit, and um, and go back again. Um, you started and you you worked with Leo Laporte, like really huge names today, and how did you? how were you able to build a platform in a way that got you so many speaking engagements? And this is such a selfish, mm. selfish question because I'm in that, I'm in that time right now where um, I'm getting opportunities to speak and opportunities to travel. Um, how do you scale that and how do you balance it with your life? Yeah, so uh, the speaking opportunities uh, came to me uh, again just before I had my son and when I was uh, starting to write my book. And I had an agency who came to me to talk about social media because I think I was a little bit ahead of the curve, Mm -hmm. which was advantageous at that time. But I don't think it's just that. I I think I also had a bit of an edge at that time. And I would encourage people who are out there who are entrepreneurs who are watching that you need to really be able to differentiate yourself. Uh, For example, I recently went and spoke at a school where a bunch of media students, most of the women in the class, they all wanted to be fashion bloggers. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not differentiating yourself, right? Exactly, uh, exactly. For me, as a woman in 2009, being in the tech space was kind of an anomaly. And I stood out and I had that edge. And I think we all need that. We need a reason that someone will come to you because you have that unique value proposition. And uh, at that time, that was something that I really built up is like, yeah, I'm a woman. I know tech just as well as the next guy. And uh, I was able to go out and speak on those topics. And uh, I think that was hugely advantageous okay I I completely agree with that like hands down but I feel like it's so much harder to do that nowadays like I feel like there's like in the tech world now there's there's so many women now there's so much like you know how people would say competition there's so many other people standing out but how can one take it truly to the next level like what's a good example of that Uh, Yeah, I think that's also a great question. And I think if I were trying to take it to the next level, and I were just coming into this space, I would find perhaps uh, one uh, really niche area where I can make a difference. So I'll give you an example. Uh, And I don't want to say this is just for women, because I know there are are men watching as well. But let's say that uh, you are a woman and and you love technology, Mm -hmm. but you want to specialize in something. Well, I would think that something like uh, artificial intelligence or virtual reality, maybe you want to be the go to person on those topics. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, when you get into trying to find women to talk about those topics, all of a sudden, the talent pool becomes very narrow. And so that's a perfect example of finding your niche. And maybe your niche is something like mobile payments. Maybe it's something very specific. But I think the more niche we are today, the better opportunities there are. That is so interesting. There's a woman in our community that's into, um, what would you say, the, the online gaming, the future, the... Like gamification. Yeah, or- I, yeah, and something that you've mentioned, completely uh, lost track of that term. But anyway, like it's so interesting that you said that you really have to jump in fully and really commit yourself to that specific topic and talk about it, write about it, um, tweet about it. Very, very interesting. Yeah, so- I mean, 
So it's just, a, uh, sorry to interrupt you, I just, yeah. I want to mention another woman who's amazing. Her name is Jane McGonigal. I think that's how you pronounce her last name, but she goes by avant-garde on Twitter and uh, she's a gamification expert. Mm. And that doesn't mean you can't talk about other things that are on the peripheral of that topic, right? But again, it's about kind of narrow casting and being able to be unique in your area. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. So for everybody listening, um, really pick that narrow topic that you can talk about that you're actually passionate about. I think that's really, really important as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Amber, uh, tell us a bit about your book. It's absolutely amazing. I did not read it cover to cover yet, but I did go through it and um, have some, you have some really like sneaky hacks that (laughs) I did not even know about. And here I am a millennial. I think I know everything about technology and about social media and all this, the safety of it. But it it has them opened my eyes so much um, in this book. So thank you so much for writing it. So my son is eight. And I I believe your son is eight too, isn't he? He'll be eight in February. Oh, awesome. Okay. So very, very similar in age. Um, What is it like? What do you allow him to do at his age level? Like, does he have a handheld device? Like, how do you uh, let's talk about like the apps that you can install um, on those devices um, Mm -hmm. to keep them safe? Yeah, so I, I think that the first thing that we try to teach in the book, and I should give lots of credit to my co-author because he added in many of those hacks, and uh, there's lots of great material in there for parents to discover what their kids are doing online. And I think the one message that we've tried to get across in the book is that it isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. I think every child is different. So I can tell you that, okay, maybe my son will get his first phone at 10, but that doesn't mean that your son should. And the reason I say that is because there are varying effect- factors associated with individual kids. Some kids are responsible enough to manage it. Some pit kids understand that, hey, there are rules because some kids don't. Yeah. And so you, you really need to think specifically about your child. Uh, you also, I think the thing that we talk about in the book is establishing guidelines in the home before it gets too late. So even at a young age, having a list of rules as far as what you're allowed to do, how long you're allowed to be on uh, certain devices, the rules that there are no v- devices at the table during dinner time, those type of things, I would recommend actually printing up a little contract and uh, putting it up in a public place. So there are no questions about what the rules are. As a mom, you know what happens when you say, hey, you're not allowed to do this. They're like, oh, well, what? I didn't know that those were the rules. Well, if the rules are in the kitchen on the bulletin board, then you no longer have to argue about that. So that will save you time. And um, as far as apps, we have a bunch that we recommend in the book. I'll I'll just mention one. It's called Visor, V-I-S-R. It allows you to monitor social media accounts of your child and it identifies any issues, keywords uh, like bullying or any references to alcohol or nudity, and it will send you a message. So you don't have to go out to those social media accounts that your child may be on. It will instead inform you if it feels as though there are issues that are out there. So uh, that's a really great one. And, and many of the apps we recommend are entirely free. And and maybe we'll just give you that sense of security that you can know that, hey, you're on top of what your kid is doing on the internet. Mm, so good. So good. I love the tip about printing out the rules because kids do, they really test your limits. And oh, even yeah. going before then, like having a conversation, and um, I really struggled with this a lot because um, I homeschooled my, my kids for a few years and um, you cannot... Um, you it's very hard to have a conversation or set boundaries with your child if you don't have that discipline in place. So I think it's important like to really have that um, communication with your child and ha- let them know that mama means business. So 
Back to the book, um, Michael Bazell, right? Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. I am so, I, when I was reading through the book, I was so appreciative that you took the time, or I don't know how it happened, but that you have him as a co-author because as a crime investigator, that was huge. Like he knows all the ins and outs of all the crazy things that are happening in the world right now as far as social media. So I really appreciated his angle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's why it kind of works with the book is that I'm able to come to the book from the side of being a parent and being able to talk about my experiences also as a technology expert as far as trends that are happening in the marketplace. And then he was able to cover the other side of the equation, which was talking about, okay, when things go wrong, here's what happens. And here's how you get out of those situations. And here's how sometimes parents aren't able to get out of the situations because they've gone too far. So I think it was a nice balance for us to write together. And I, I learned a ton as well, as far as some of the uh, the possible dangers of technology and social media, and I, I will admit that uh, maybe I had my head in the sand a little bit because I was always such an advocate of technology that it kind of opened my eyes to seeing that you know what everyone needs some type of balance in their lives, <laughs> and with social media and technology, you need to also make sure that you're safe and secure. Very interesting. I com- I completely agree too. I'm very open minded. Like, hey, it, you know, we got to keep an open mind. We're moving into the future, but you know, some some of the things that we really have to watch out for on social media so you I noticed that you're not you don't post uh, a lot of pictures of your son on social (laughs) media can you share a little bit about that uh, yeah, so uh, it's funny. I was reading an article lately, uh, recently in the Wall Street Journal that said that the average parent posts about a thousand photos of their child online in the child's lifetime, which is astronomical. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. for me personally, I just chose early on uh, not to post any photos of my kid. I mean, there may be a few here and there, like the back of his head or someone he was a baby. But uh, I, I personally feel as though he has uh, the right to decide how he wants to be presented online. And I worry a little bit that we've become somewhat lazy uh, as far as posting pictures of our kids online and considering their privacy in the future. So I don't think it's my right necessarily to uh, say that, hey, you know what, he's in the bathtub, I'm going to post a photo, or he's you know running around the yard or having a fit. I mean, those are things that I feel are very private moments. And it's one thing for me to do it as an adult, but for me to put him out there just seems to be leaving him in a very vulnerable position. Yeah, I, I have to agree. And especially about posting the tantrums of the kids online. <laughs> I hate that. The thing is, um, this, it's, the thing is, is that whatever happens on the internet stays on the internet and so you know no matter if you go back and remove everything I remember I had like I had an add-on on my a browser that like went in automatically like a robotic thing and deleted all the previous posts and photos of my children a, a couple years ago and and the thing is that was a lot of work it took days I had yeah. to leave my computer open for for like the whole night and day to 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 do that because all this information is on the online and I wouldn't even surprise if the photos that I've already deleted are still on the internet. So, um, did you have some kind of communication, some kind of talk with with your child? I know you mentioned you had you intentionally didn't want to post photos from the very beginning, but it seems like whenever I take pictures of my Sam, he's he just turned eight, and um, I'm he's at an age where like. Mom, no, I don't want my picture taken. Or when he does let me, allow me to take his picture, I have to ask him, like, hey, can I post this 
on Snapchat or can I post this on Facebook? And he's like, no, mom, no. And I'm like, okay, cool. And um, it's interesting because we kind of go back and forth with that. Sometimes he's in, whenever he's in the mood, but it's really interesting. Like, and we can't really go, we can't really say what will happen until we actually live through it. And then there'll be some mm. research based on that. That's, I think that's very interesting. Like all these, like I'm posting pictures of my kids all the time, but in 10 years, looking back, there will be so much research and so much you're like, you will, we will bear the fruit of our works and we'll see what, you know, if we did wrong or right. It's very interesting. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, and I think it's interesting that your child is saying, hey, you know, don't post that. And my son does exactly the same thing. Yeah, In fact, yeah. we were recently out with a, a friend of ours and she was taking pictures and he, she has the app called Snapseed on her phone, which allows you to do photo editing. And after she took the picture, because he didn't want it on the internet, he said, hey, can I use your phone and see the picture? She showed him. He pulled it up into Snapseed and he actually used the eraser and he erased his face out of the picture and then he gave it back to her as sort of a message that he did not want to be posted on the internet. I don't know <laughs> what that means. It's a little savvy for a seven and a half year old. But yeah, Hey, I think again, you know, they're kind of telling us that maybe they don't want their pictures out there. And, uh, I I think we need to really respect that a little bit more Mm -hmm. and change our habits because why should we expect them to respect other people's privacy friends when they become teenagers? If in fact we didn't do it for them when they were younger. So I think, you know, we are setting the wrong example in many ways. Very interesting. So what are, um, what are some of the dangers that might happen if we do and when we do post uh, photos of our children on online? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few different things. And in the book, we talk a lot about the difference between privacy and security. And we talk about privacy as something like a, someone's personal privacy. So let's say I have a preference in music and I don't really want people to know because it reveals too much about me. That's my personal privacy. Uh, when we define security in the book, and this is something I believe that Michael had defined really well, mm-hmm. where he talks about um your uh, digital security versus your physical security. So your your digital security is things like your bank account, but your physical security is, is could be applied to the safety of your child. So you don't want their picture online so people can identify them because then all of a sudden if you post a picture of their school, could a stranger potentially know because they've seen their face that and they've seen where they go to school, they could match those things up and be able to identify them at the school. And that is an impact on your actual physical security. So... I mean, there's so many examples yeah. of where things have gone terribly wrong. But most most parents with their kids, will, the issue they'll deal with is bullying um, uh, at a pretty uh, significant scale mm. with most kids, whether they're tweens or teens, because um, I think all parents will experience that in the digital space. Hmm. Very interesting. And thank you so much for t- touching on, fo- um, on taking photos um, at the school or writing the school name. And I cringe every time I hear that because what happens is like there's first day of school and you post a picture right in front of the school with the school name on it with the child's face. And I think that that's very dangerous. And um, I urge you mamas, don't do this. Like we have schools coming up. Don't post uh, pictures of your children in front of their school. I mean, I know some of your accounts are private and Snapchat, you will only allow your friends to see it. But take photos of your child. Be mindful of um, what information you are exposing. And so, um, Amber, I thank you so much for, for touching upon that. So um, I want to um, move a little bit away from this topic and ask you really quick, how did you go about writing? 
writing this book. And again, this is like so interesting to me because, you know, in this online space, you built this beautiful platform, this huge platform, influential platform. And how did it come about that you want to write this book? Was it like a a personal decision or did you get um, a publisher come to you and ask you if you want to write this? And I'd love to hear your take on that. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the book is self-published. Uh, my previous book was not. It was published by a traditional publisher. So um, this was kind of an experiment, too, just to see what the self-publishing world was like. And it was an amazing opportunity to be able to go in and we could just you know write the book and then publish it the next day, literally. Uh, and so uh, that's kind of what we did. You know, over the course of a few months, we wrote the book and then uh, got it up on Amazon, uh, where it's available today in print and ebook in multiple countries. And uh, I think the self-publishing model for a lot of people works really well, especially with a book like this that has to be timely in the sense that we couldn't wait six months or a year for a traditional Mm -hmm. publisher to get that book into stores. That information needs to be out there right now, and I don't think any parent should have to wait for it. So that that model works really well for us. Oh my goodness, that's incredible. I'm such a huge advocate for self-published books, and now with the Amazon, Kindle, and CreateSpace, it's so accessible to anyone. Like literally, you on the other end watching us right now, you have a book idea, you write it, and you literally just send it off to Amazon, and people will order it, and it'll print on demand. It's incredible. So, um... From your experience, you you were working with a, a publisher before versus self-publishing. Mm-hmm. What are some uh, pros and cons uh, with that experience? So I think that uh, there are way more pros to self-publishing, uh, a few different reasons. Uh, again, I think it's the waiting time you have a, a traditional publisher is kind of extensive. Um, and I think for the most part, you it's fairly easy to find good editors around that will help you edit the book. So the publisher would manage that typically, but um, you're able to do that by just hiring a freelancer to do so. Now, there is a bit of marketing support from a traditional publisher that you won't get on your own. But I would argue if you have enough of a social media following that you can replace that and you can get the word out there. So to me, it feels like self-publishing is probably right for most people. Uh, And, uh, you know, some people may choose a traditional publisher because they don't have the time to self-publish because it is a lot more work at the end of the day as far as having to manage all of the marketing yourself and those type of things. But I think that, uh, again, because of the timeliness of it and being able to get something out quickly for most of us who are building our businesses and our brand, we do not want to wait, you know, a year, year and a half to get a book out. We have an idea today. It does. Absolutely. So you have an idea today and you can literally get that book out in six months if you are good at uh, committing to deadlines. And uh, that's something that we really pushed on is having a deadline in place and writing continuously. So it was a bit of a grind. I'm not going to lie. I was writing every time I turned around. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you have to be aggressive with those things. Oh my goodness, yes. And I was just at a conference and met a whole bunch of um, authors who are literally publishing their books like in September. And it's the grind is incredible. Like, oh, yeah. It takes so much work. And yeah, a, about a year to a year and a half um, from book, book deal contract to book out. So that's a long time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Amber, I know our time is c- coming to a close. And I'm so sad because it has so much fun talking to you. So much interesting takeaways. Um, but when you were writing a book, or actually, let's talk about right now, like, what does your day look like, typically look like right now, from like the morning to the the evening? So, uh, 
you know, uh, for the most part, I think uh, the days are pretty busy. Uh, but again, I can take those longer extended breaks. But uh, in the morning, get up, I check all my social media accounts. If my son's going to camp, you know, get him ready to go to camp or school or wherever he might be going. And then a number of meetings. I still do a lot of media, uh, pretty busy all day. I, I always make time to go to the gym or work out because it's directly, uh, it has a direct impact on uh, my uh, my actual energy levels and all those things. So I'll work out maybe five days a week. And, um, and then in the evenings, you know, kid time and then kind of back to work. Like I said, it's not for everyone. Of course, have, of course. I have no hobbies except for work, but I love it and I would never change a thing. Uh, exactly. And I feel like I, I feel the same way. Like I have no other hobbies in this because I love this so much. And I feel like we are so blessed to live in this age where we can turn oh, yeah. our hobbies into an income, into a job or not that's a that's a bad term into something that we can do that will support our life so completely love that um and last question for you before um i let you go um oh i'm totally full out of my head oh my gosh um oh what is advice (laughs) yeah this is like you guys this is real life stuff okay so people forget to what questions to ask so amber um what when you um when you started your business, I'm, you have so much experience, but there's so many mom entrepreneurs that are starting or running businesses. What are, what is some of the advice that you can give them? Uh, well, for some of them, uh, this might be too late, but I would say have the right partner <laughs> because mm. I will tell you, if you don't have the, the right partner, you won't be able to do any of this. And uh, sometimes we forget to talk about that part of the equation. I mean, there are lots of examples of partners who will not support uh, a mom being an entrepreneur because maybe they expect you to have a full-time job or do different things or they can't help to pick up in areas where you do need help. So uh, let's not uh, pretend that that's not an important part of the equation because I think mm. it it is absolutely. And, um, the, the second thing I would say is that, uh, uh, actually, can I say three things? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so the second thing I would say is, you know, try to get rid of the mom guilt because it's, it's something that I think can destroy people. And, uh, I think we all know at the end of the day, if we're being good moms and we worry too much in terms of judgment from others. And you know, with your child, if you're giving them the best of you when you're there and if you're an entrepreneur and, uh, you may be gone a couple nights cause you're traveling and then you're home, I-, I guarantee you, you're a passionate person and you're giving your child as much as they need. And there's no reason for the mom guilt. And, uh, the third thing I would say is, you know, sometimes you also have to be a little bit selfish and take care of yourself. And that means that you have to find time to make sure that there is time to shower and work out and make those things a priority and don't let anyone around you try to pull you down and uh, tell you that you don't have time for those things and and it's important to also look after you. Oh, that's so good, Amber. You touch upon so many, three, like probably one of those, the main things ever in mompreneurship. So again, Amber, I thank you so much for coming on. Those of you who are watching this is a must. If you have children, this book is absolutely a must. Go get it on Amazon. I will link it down below. However, if you want to win a copy, let me know in the comments below. What was your biggest takeaway from this interview? Amber, again, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your expertise and your experience with us. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, hon. 
All right. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mompreneur Show. We are live every single Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. I hope you will join us live next Monday. Remember, every single Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. I am your host, Vicky Lashenko, and this is a show that features amazing stories of the most remarkable mom entrepreneurs. I will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.